Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. M-A-I-N-M-E-N-U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Hi, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu for the 15th of July, 2016. I am your co-host, Jason Castanguay. It was a crazy, busy convention, and we're going to take you there. But before we do, we're going to play a segment from the Mac OS Ken podcast in which Ken relays a bit of news regarding an award that was given to Apple from the American Council of the Blind. That award was given on July 4th during convention. Then we are bringing you to the Information Access Committee 411 workshop. Brian Charlson is hosting, and he will talk about the day in the life of a blind person as it relates to technology and our access to it. Nice gems of info to pick up from this workshop, absolutely. It won't all fit into one show, and so we may be bringing other parts to it in future shows. Enjoy, everyone. And finally today, Apple is being honored for its continued accessibility initiatives. Apple World Today says the company will receive the Robert S. Bray Award from the American Council of the Blind. The award is given to a company or person who has improved communication technology or devices, or which has expanded access to such devices for all blind people, according to the piece. ACB President Kim Charlson was quoted in the report as saying, The American Council of the Blind applauds Apple for its innovative approach to product accessibility, giving people who are blind equal access to mainstream technology. Meanwhile, Sarah Herlinger, Senior Manager for Global Accessibility Policy and Initiatives at Apple, said, We put great effort into making our products accessible because we believe technology should serve everyone. We build accessibility into the core of our operating systems and continually innovate new ideas and features to create a great experience for all users. So, at this point, what we're going to attempt to do is inform you about what ACB's been about relative to information access. I kind of like to pull this together as a day in the life of a blind tech user. And that pretty much means all of you are fair game in this discussion because you're blind tech users, right? Nobody out there is not using tech in one form or another. So when I packed to come to this convention, it may have been similar to when you packed to come to this convention. I have to take clothes, you know, things like that. My toothbrush, things like that. Yeah, Carl says, thank you for bringing your clothes this time, Brian. Anyway, so in addition to that, I've got to pack the tech, which means lots and lots of chargers of different types. Wouldn't be nice if we could all get together and say a charger is a charger is a charger, but it's not. Then I have to pack which computer? It used to be it's, I'm packing the computer, but this time I packed three computers. Because in the world of technology, it's going to become harder and harder to stick with one ecosystem. In fact, probably you already are using two. You probably, not definitely, don't get your backs up yet, you probably are using Windows as your primary desktop computer operating system. 
But I bet you a lot of you are also walking around with iPhones. So you're working in two different ecosystems at the same time. So I brought my laptop computer that I'll be doing part of this presentation from. It's a standard Windows, Windows 10 operating system on this device. It's an HP that I'm using. I like it, even though it's a little big for me to lug around because it comes with the numeric keypad. And being primarily a JAWS user, that kind of comes in handy. I also brought with me another Windows 10 system, but this is a Surface computer. Have many of you seen a Surface? Okay, so it's this really bizarre. I'm reaching over to it. It's a really bizarre system in that it doesn't know if it's a tablet or a computer. So I'm holding it in my arms here, holding it as if I'm holding an open laptop computer. The screen is delightful, but in addition to being a screen, it's a touch screen. Okay? So I get the joys of that experience. And folding down from it is its keyboard, which is nearly flat as a piece of paper. And it takes a little getting used to new keyboards, doesn't it? Especially if it's hard to tell where one key ends and the next begins. And that's this kind of keyboard. And of course it has that lovely touch surface between you and the space bar that you want to be very careful not to brush up against or your focus will definitely be changed. And when you don't want to take all of this with you, all you do is tear them apart. Now I've got the tablet screen in one hand and the keyboard in the other because they're connected magnetically along that seam. And it's just as easy for me to resume that connection by getting them close and there it snapped on. And so I've closed that device. So that's the second one I brought. Why did I bring this? This is part of my responsibilities with ACB as Information Access Committee Chair. We're working with Microsoft on what Windows will look like by January 1. What Office 365 will look like by January 1. What narrator and magnifier will look like come when? January 1. So this is one of those things, you know, I don't know about you. When some, say again? <laughs> what year, yeah. So this is one of those things that I do beta testing on. And I never want to do beta testing on the system I have to read my email on. So it's duplicated on here, but I do it on the other machine. The third computer I brought with me is my Mac PowerBook Pro. When you come to my office, I have my Windows machine under my left hand and my Mac under my right hand. I'm expected to answer the phone at any time and answer questions about either situation and instantly step into a classroom and be the, the substitute teacher for any of those things. So I have to keep the Mac around, even though for me the Mac is a newer experience because I have to be able to work in multiple ecosystems to do things. So what I want to do today, in addition to talk about all the tech that I brought along with me today, and that probably you, each of you, have some bit of the tech I'm bringing here today, I want to go through the day in the life of a blind tech user. How many people in the room 
currently use an Apple Watch of some kind. Put your hands together. There's a few, right? Now, when I do this talk before the prospective clients at the Carroll Center for the Blind, I always talk about back when I was 11 years old, back in 1967, do the math, and my mother brought me my first clock, which was a West Bend wind-up clock she pried the plastic face off of so I could feel the hands on that analog face. That was my first piece of adaptive tech. Of course, I've gone a long way since then. I went through the whole experience of the uh, talking time. Oh, that was a lovely device, wasn't it? Expensive? Boy, was it expensive to, to know the time. And very expensive the day that it slipped out of my shirt pocket and into a bucket of water that I was using to clean something. I then found out it is possible to be five times six over seven o'clock because the same chip was also a calculator chip and the two fried one another. So that was my next clock. Eventually, though, I bought my clock at Radio Shack. Anybody buy things from Radio Shack? The good old little cube clock? And that's continued to serve me for many, many years. But my wife and I keep different schedules. I'm an early riser. She's a late-going-to-bed person. So that same clock can't serve both functions. So recently, I've turned to my Apple Watch as my morning alarm. I go to bed with my watch on, set the alarm, and it vibrates to wake me up in the morning. So I can wake up and not disturb the first lady of ACB and get on with my morning routine. So the very first thing I experience each morning is a piece of tech. Eventually, I do roll out of bed and uh, off to the restroom. And in the bathroom, I have a whole bunch of other tech that we in ACB concern ourselves with. Uh, again, I'm reaching for my bag of tricks over here. How many of you recognize... Let me see if the right button does it. If I push enough of them, one of them will say the right thing. Ah, Come on, you so-and-so. You always do it when I don't want you to. Yes, exactly. I have pushed so many buttons on here, I'm sure I've totally reprogrammed the sucker. This is my talking glucose monitor. Okay? The old days, this wasn't a possible thing, was it? So now I got this one from Prodigy. I actually won it as a door prize at ACB Diabetics in Action event. But I remember the day I went to the doctors and I was diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic. And they said, we realize that we need to accommodate your special needs. So we're going to let you come to our clinic twice a day, every day, and we'll do your blood sugar for you. And I looked at them like they had grown three heads, as you can well imagine. I said, wait a minute, doctor. You, I pay a good premium to this hospital, or this HMO, and I'd like to know what you would do if I were a sighted person. Well, we'd reach into this drawer and we'd give you this glucose monitor, but of course you can't use that because it doesn't talk. And I said, well, I know they exist, and I expect you to get me one. Well, we don't know where they are. Well, then I guess you're going to have to research it. If they can send a man to the moon, by God, they can find 
a talking glucose monitor that I know exists. Well, if you know of one, why don't you get one? Because I pay the HMO premium. I expect you to do that for me. How about you guys? That's not the only thing in our bathrooms that we concern ourselves with. It's also all those medications I'm taking. And has ACB made progress in making medication accessible to us? Pretty significant. And much of that requires technology, doesn't it? You've got to have the device that reads the label, those kinds of things. Or for that matter, the technology that the companies, the pharmaceutical companies have to use to make those large print labels, braille labels, talking devices attached to the bottles, etc., etc. All of those work that way. I've got a talking blood pressure monitor. Uh, my blood pressure does go up, but I'm usually not anywhere near that in order to register it. I'm taking on a politician or something when my blood sugar rises. <clears throat> Nonetheless, all those bits and pieces that I used to have to do without, I now can do thanks to the work of places and organizations and members like ACB and its members. Down the hall I go. Kim likes a cold house. I, not so much. So what's the next thing that makes it part of my tech life? The thermostat. Used to be those good old Honeywell ones. Just, you know, take a couple of peel and stick dots, slap it on there. You line up the dots. You got it handled. But these days, with the cost of energy, that's kind of an expensive way to run life. I need the house to turn itself down when I forget, turn itself up when I need it to do. So I have a programmable thermostat. The first one I got that was fully accessible to me was from Talking Thermostats. And I bought that sucker at the ACB auction. Please go again. I'll be a guest auctioner, 8.30 to 9.30. But nonetheless, Talking Thermostats. Those don't happen because there's a lot of people out there and demanding it. It's because there are a few good people out there working on those kind of things, but it's also because we need to buy it if we expect it to stay alive. And my household, after we did that, redid the heating and cooling of our home to central air, central heat, uh, heat pump, and gas-forced hot, no, hot water on demand. And they put in a thermostat from a very famous company. When you think heating and cooling, who do you think of first? Honeywell, GE, uh, all kinds of possibilities, right? Did I get one of those? No, because they said that mine would work with an app on my iPhone, which is totally inaccessible, and it's carrier, huge manufacturer, inaccessible. So I'm in the process of swapping it out for a Nest, N-E-S-T, smart one, and it will learn my habits as it sees me raise up and lower the temperature at different times, in addition to whatever I've set up as my target temperatures and dates and times, it's going to learn from my experience when I say, yeah, when I said to raise it to 71, I really meant 73, because I'm never happy at 71, whatever. So it will do those kind of things for me. So down the hall I go and I hit that hall closet, which is where all of my clothes have been banished to. Uh, Kim has quite the wardrobe, and so I followed the lead of most husbands, and my closet space is what's left over, even if it's down the hall. Yours is in the TV room, Carl? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So I get to, the, get to the hall closet, open it up, and I have the same wardrobe problems everybody else has. What goes with what? How do I keep track of all of that? 
And here's one where I, I really do think the ladies have it better off because there's a lot of different cuts and things that you can tell clothing apart with if you're really good at memory. But us guys, we tend to buy shirts by the oh, four or five, same cut, same everything, and don't know one from the other. So how do you go about doing that kind of thing? I use a talking color identifier that I bought from APH at, uh, what is it called, the Colorina? Yeah? How much does that thing go, go for? It's an outrageous amount of money. It's over, I think it's I think about... about Oh, no, that's the cheaper one you're talking about, Carl. He said 190 different one. I'm talking about the higher... <laughs> Say again? Yeah. Well, that it can be very, very expensive. But nonetheless, that's the way I can tell the shirts go with the pants. It doesn't help with the shirts that go with what ties, does it? So it's a real hodgepodge of things. But technology does help me in, in that whole process. I wish, and if somebody knows of a good color ID app on my iPhone that actually works, I'm up there doing a demo for uh, pr prospective donors to the Carroll Center for the Blind, and I say, look, this color identifier, and I show my pants, and it insisted my, I was wearing pink pants. I'm here to tell you, it wasn't pink, okay? was not pink. So not all the tech is working exactly the way we would like it to. By the way, Peggy, Carl, I'm going to pass this roving mic to you. Now they got the ball rolling. You okay. see where this is going, yes? And what are we doing? So you're going to kibitz with me. These people didn't come to hear me give two hours worth of talk. They came to involve themselves in things, and you, as two members of the Information Access Committee, get to help out in this regard. Have I said anything or about any device that you disagree with? or you have a different answer to? No, uh, I will tell you, I start off my day slightly differently as a person with, who's also blind but hard of hearing, so I have a device in my pillow to vibrate because I don't want to wake my wife up because the alarm would be very loud if I did it, and so I have a device that vibrates in the pillow. Um, you always wake up with a smile, don't you, Carl? Oh, yeah. And, and then... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's a little slow. Okay. And then I turn on my Victor Reader stream and download the papers every morning and listen to the papers before my wife wakes up. So that's kind of how I start my day. So, again, you have a device specifically designed for people who can't afford to wake up their spouse, the vibrating pillow. Yep. Yep. You have a Victor Reader stream, which is a made-for-the-blind product. Right. And we continue to need some component within our lives that are made for the blind products. I love my Victor Reader Stream second edition especially, the wireless version. If any of you are making do with the previous version, you will wonder what took you so long about converting to the wireless version. Though I haven't been able to get it to hook up to the network in this hotel, I don't think you can because you have to go through a web browser to say, I accept your policies, right? And you're, you're kind of <clears throat> out of luck. If somebody knows the way around that, let us know. Let us know. All right. So how do you tell your clothes apart, Carl? I ask my wife. Ah. How about you, Peggy? I, uh, I, I've also tried several of the, um, the apps for the iPhone and have found uh, none of them work very well. Like Brian, if someone has found one that works, please let us know. Um, but I have also seen where you 
have something on and I know kind of what color it is and that uh, tells me something very off. So I don't use that. I generally um, am a, a real, I love my iPhone and uh, that's probably the first thing I reach for in the morning, especially now that I'm retired, so I don't need to get up quite and jump and go to work. Um, so I use the iPhone a lot. I'm kind of Twitter obsessed, so I check the Twitter feeds and uh, the news feeds. I like the new news app on uh, the iPhone. I check that in the morning as well as the weather and all of that. Uh, but I also have an Amazon uh, Echo and uh, I'll Alexa. be doing something on that in a moment. All right, and I, I love those. I ask that for the weather and uh, like to play Jeopardy on that. So that helps me wake up too. <laughs> All right. So again, we get through that whole get up, get dressed business, head to the kitchen. And those who know me know I love to cook. And so I have quite a bit of cooking gear in my kitchen. I have uh, food scales uh, that needless to say, I don't crawl on top of, but uh, I use for measuring things. I have talking thermometers and I especially like my eye grill. Anybody here use an eye grill? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have the eye grill, and I use it when I use my smoker. I can be measuring the temperature, internal temperature of brisket, uh, pork ribs, and pork butt, and the general temperature inside the chamber all at one time with one device sending to by Bluetooth to my iPhone. So I can sit up in the shade and let the smoker do the work. And I very much appreciate those kinds of things. And, of course, I have a talking microwave oven, though I'm one of those snobbish cooks. I pretty much do rice or melt butter in it. Um, but nonetheless, it's one of those Hamilton Beach talking ones, uh, which, unfortunately, as I understand it, are no longer manufactured. That's one of the problems when we get into some types of devices that are in the mainstream, right? You might want to buy two if they're really working well for you and stow one away because they may not be here next year because the sighted public may not take on to them the way they did with talking clocks. All right, so through the kitchen, into the living room. Now I'm just trying to stay out of everybody's way while they're getting up and getting ready in the morning. So something new came into my life. Remember I talked about ecosystems, right? We have the Microsoft Windows ecosystem. We have the Mac ecosystem. We have iOS and Android. And now in my life, I also have... What time is it? The time is 2.36. I have the Alexa and uh, Amazon ecosystem in my house. This is the TAP, T-A-P, part of the... Echo slash tap slash dot means of accessing audio content over your home wireless system and the internet. So on this one, you have to press a button to get its attention. So this is the one we have on our headboard of our, in our bedroom because I don't want to accidentally say Alexa's name in my sleep <clears throat> and uh, have to deal with that. So it's, <laughs> it's pressing that button. What was the score in yesterday's Red Sox game? Last night, the Red Sox beat the Angels 5-4. to four. But it's also things like... <clears throat> Wikipedia, American Foundation for the Blind. The American Foundation for the Blind. 
AFB is an American nonprofit organization for people with vision loss. Play Purple Rain by Prince. The song I found is marked explicit. Here's a sample of Purple Rain by Prince. Stop. Tell me the news. Here's your flash briefing. In NPR News from TuneIn. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Barbara Klein. Hillary Stop. So, I use the ecosystem we simply call Alexa. I have to get used to the idea when I push the button, don't say Alexa. When I'm in the living room, just say Alexa. And when I'm down in the man cave where we do ACB Radio's yin-yang show, I have the dot, the junior of these two things, and it's connected up to Bluetooth speakers down there, and it also answers to the name Alexa. And when you bring these things along to demo, you've got to be careful that you haven't got the attention of all three of them at the same time. Tech. I'm going to reach back into my bag of tricks. So you guys both use Alexa, don't you? They're both big Alexa fans. Somebody's decided to come into the room from the front, which a lot of you did, I think. Hello. Come on in. Um, Anyway, so we all use Alexa. Do you guys use it for different things than what I was just describing? I also love Jeopardy, by the way. I also play um, a detective game on it. It's an audio away from my I also play an audio detective game where I am um, Commissioner Gordon trying to solve the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. And I also love play Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Getting the latest episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Here it is from TuneIn. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Honda, maker of the restyled Accord. Stop. ACB does not have Honda as a sponsor, so we'll just get past the commercial. I, I bought, I haven't hooked them up yet, but I have bought electrical outlet to work in conjunction with um, Alexa. Yeah, you can, through this ecosystem, be able to control a wide variety of things, not just the home thermostat, but anything that plugs into an outlet. You can actually uh, also start your car if you want to install a device uh, in your car's ignition system, open and and close drapes, uh, turn on and off, sprinkler systems, just a wide variety of things along those lines. You can book an Uber ride. And you can do things, yeah, and they just enabled the the Lyft app. So if you use Lyft, and you can order pizza from Domino's. Yep. Lots and lots of different things that you can do. In fact, they just announced, anybody here buy things via Amazon, I would think? Amazon has just announced that they're going to put 20,000 products on, on the system that you can order simply by asking for it and then confirming you really did mean to order 12 cases of Charmin bathroom tissue or whatever. Thank goodness you have to say, yes, I did mean that, or you don't a lot of things you didn't intend to. 
I wanted to let you know that during our Monday afternoon uh, or early evening, Library Users of America is doing a session on reading books differently, and I'll be bringing all of the ecosystem devices with me, the Echo ecosystem devices, and be happy to show you how to access Amazon and Kindle, and I can also tell you that uh, negotiations or work is underway already to turn BARD into an Echo app. So, finally, I'm sitting in my living room. I've finished reading the paper like Carl did with my stream. I've listened to and triaged my email for the day on my iPhone 6. Anybody here have uh, the newer version of the iPhone? 6S. 6S's. What do you think? Did you switch from 6 to 6S or did you leapfrog? Yes, sir. Yeah, I hear Victor has. Who else? And what do you think? Worth the switch? Smaller, yep. Yeah, smaller generally. Now, another thing uh, that I have up here, let me see if I can locate where I slipped it. We are live, my friend. You're not Memorex anymore. So, so I want to um, talk about another thing that's happening in this world. Now, we've been talking about some things that are for the blind, for those with low vision. And there's one more item I was showing in the suite, president's suite last night I want to mention. Because I keep talking about this talks, that talks, the other thing talks, ticky-tocky, ticky-tock, tick. Well... I'm also a Braille reader. Any Braille readers in the room? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm going to turn this little Braille device on. Come on. Count to five when you push the little button. Did you hear that? This is the latest in refreshable Braille devices. And it is a 20-cell Braille display that you can hook up Bluetooth to your iOS devices. And you can use it because it has an SD card slot on it, as well as a USB port through which it is charged. It has a standard six-dot Braille keyboard plus a cursor cross, you know, up, down, left, right, select. At the space bar and the dot seven and eight keys, doubling is control and those kinds of things, control and shift, and uh, pan forward and pan back. And this whole 20-cell refreshable Braille display and book reader, did I say it was a note-taker? No, it is not a note-taker. But this is now orderable through American Printing House for the Blind and RNIB, Royal National Institute of the blind. I think they changed from four to of. And it's for sale for $500. $500. So tell me if the world of blindness products has to cost you an arm and a leg because your eyes don't work. Uh, I've, you know, I've been an advocate in this space for many, many years. And we've always been told that the cost of refreshable Braille was always going to be expensive. 
And I think that if you are wedded to the piezoelectric method of raising a braille dot, you're probably pretty accurate because that's a pretty elaborate and expensive little gizmo to work with. But it's the gizmo I used when I was in college, for heaven's sake. Uh, don't you think technology's changed just a mite since then? This is called the, God, what did I call it? The Orbit Reader, thank you. The Orbit Reader. Twelve different blindness organizations, including APH and Perkins School for the Blind and RNIB and CNIB, Canadian National Institute, and others. Vision Australia, absolutely. Don't let me forget our friends from down under. Absolutely. They all pooled money to research the answer to expensive refreshable Braille. And I think they found the answer. And later I'll give you a chance as you're leaving the room here today to give a touch to this. Because, you know, they say that seeing is believing. Well, in the case of this Braille display, touching is believing. It is a truly amazing sensation. I say that, and the little dots aren't coming up. I think it turned itself off, so I'm trying to turn it back on. Come on. Ah, there they are. User, it says. So, again, on your way out, I'd be happy to let you not only touch the Braille dots, but push on them. This is the firmest Braille you will have ever experienced in terms of refreshable Braille. Lots of possibilities there, and we'll be talking about those when we talk about a bit of the future of technology. So I do use refreshable Braille to access my technologies. A lot of refreshable Braille users in here. A lot of of choices when it comes to the manufacturer, how many cells, whether it's going to be a note taker doubling as a Braille display or a Braille display alone. I happen to use a Braille Edge. And so I use its SD card slot to slide things in to turn it into a book reader. But its price tag is a mite bit larger than this. It might bit larger than three, no, four, no, six times this. And so uh, I hope that I will be set free of that bondage soon. Anybody here, uh, patrons of the Library of Congress, National Library Service? So, again, looking into a crystal ball which mine's quite foggy, but looking into that crystal ball, NLS is very interested in this. How do we know how interested they are? Not only will Karen Kerninger tell you that when she's here later this week, but they've already introduced legislation into Congress, if this Congress can pass anything, that changes NLS's mandate to not only give them the authority to produce and distribute audio playback devices but also would enable them to distribute braille playback devices and uh, the cost currently of an uh, of a digital talking book machine per unit is about 350 400 dollars so this is not too much off the mark is it at 500 dollars And they could literally afford, with a bit of an appropriation, to go out and buy one to provide to every Braille reader within the NLS network. And that is truly their hope and desire to make that happen. All right, so I'm out of the house. 
I got to go to work. And I go to work in a variety of ways in the household, you know, the household uh, minivan. I get dr- driven to work. Or I live two blocks from the nearest bus stop and I get to work by way of bus. Or let's admit it, I'm in love with Uber. All right. Now, I am a guide dog user. Right. I have a guide dog using member of my household, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a reformed guide dog user. I expect to get back there again someday. Um, so I don't deny that there's problems relative to Uber drivers being consistent in terms of accessing or allowing guide dog users to use their vehicles. But I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that that's Uber making that decision. That's the individual drivers doing it, and it's they that we have to hold accountable in the scheme of things. No, I'm not saying that Uber is... Let me, let me be careful to say this properly. Uber is claiming throughout the country, though remember that Uber is kind of a franchised thing, and so there are different jurisdictions. The laws in Massachusetts are different than the laws in California. Um, but nonetheless, Uber believes that their service, this is what their legal team says, is like a dating service. They're not providing the transportation. They're connecting their members who drive cars with their members who need to be driven in cars. And so they're a facilitator rather than a provider. Now, I'm no lawyer, and I know that they've been successful at, um, in California, correct? In, to some degree in um, taking Uber to court over the question of whether or not Uber has responsibility to see to it that guide dog users and other service animal users have the right to ride in those vehicles. And who's responsible for it? Is it the parent company or is it the individual contractors, whatever you want to call them legally? But nonetheless, the idea that I, as a blind person, can know... My Braille device just started chattering at me. I have the ability to know who's behind the wheel, what vehicle they're in, and the ability to communicate with that driver directly rather than through a dispatcher. And I hope nobody has a family member who's a dispatcher. But to me, when you go to dispatcher school, you must go to I've learned how to lie school. Because whenever you ask them when the cab's going to be there, it's inevitably 10 minutes or two hours, whichever they get around to, one thing or another. So nonetheless, I also think that guide dog users have a wonderful opportunity because when that vehicle blows them off and goes away, if they handle it properly, they know who the driver is and they can file a complaint not out of a belief that they've been blown away, but out of absolute knowledge that they've been driven off without. And I personally have filed such a complaint before. And um, again, we're going to have an opportunity here at the convention to speak directly with Uber. There'll be a focus group that's going to be going on with Uber. Uber is on the program. So get an opportunity yourselves to speak with them. But this technology has done some marvelous things relative to transportation for all of us. Has anybody here... Well, I'm, I'm going to pick on my panelists up here because I talk a lot and they don't get to. Carl, you use Uber? Uh, 
yeah, I use it several times a week. And, I've never, and I have a guide dog, and I've yet to be turned down. Now, have you had to be insistent? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I, 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 I haven't been turned down, but I, I've got an attitude. But, but, you know, I don't care as long as I get there. And more or less frequently than with a taxi? I would say less frequently. I get attitude less frequently than with a taxi. I don't take taxis anymore because, um, I, you know, not only does, is there a benefit to knowing the name of the driver, the car make, and model number, you know you're not being lied to about the price on the, um, the taxi meter. And you don't need cash, so it's just, just easier that way. Okay, so off to work we go by way of transportation. Any other great transportation technologies? Let me think here. Lyft, that's, these are services, Lyft as well as uh, Uber. And you can also get one, I think, called Curb in some areas that is actually the taxi company that you're dealing with or a variety of taxi t- companies that knows which ones service the area in which you are currently standing. That kind of thing. But there's also this lovely three-letter acronym, GPS. Has that changed your transportation methodologies? APS. Yes. Correct. Absolutely. Pedestrian signals, accessible pedestrian signals are a part of that whole equation as well. And they are technology, believe me. But we've, we've gone from needing to use blindness-only products to being able to use mainstream products on our Android and iOS devices. Doesn't mean necessarily, does it, that we always get as good an experience as if it were built from the ground up with the understanding that you're a blind or visually impaired user. We have to put up with a, an occasional inconsistency like directions down the center of a freeway line as walking directions, that kind of stuff. So you have to be careful to pick and choose. And this is the other complexity in our lives. Uh, there are GPSs that are really good if you're a cyclist. GPSs that are really good if you use public transportation. GPS that works really well if you use those two things at the end of your ankles then just walk where you're going. But... They're not always one size fits all and does all best. So we have to learn to use a variety of these different things. Trekker? Trekker is an example of a for the blind specific device. And so it has some advantages the others do not. But one advantage it does not have is price. Price. How much does Trekker run? $695. Thank you. How much did um, four or blind square cost people? 30 bucks. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of difference between those two numbers in my household accounts. I got both just in case. Just in case you get lost. All right. So I'm going to slip away from my normal scenario here and talk a little bit about the future of technology because there's been a bit of traffic out there on ACB leadership list because an individual who was test driving a Tesla car, right? That was under automated driving mode was killed this past week in an accident. Apparently, a car or a truck turned in front of it and the Tesla did not 
avoid it. And the driver was killed. And so there's been some discussion on the boards about, well, see, I told you it was not something the American public is going to accept. Well, no, not exactly not after that, no. Totally disagree with you, Victor. Because more people died in Boston in traffic accidents yesterday than one guy in a smart car down in some town in Florida did. What's driving this, just like a lot of our other technologies, is not busily trying to come with the car that blind people can drive. Why are they doing it? Why are they designing self-driving cars? Because insurance companies know that people cause accidents. The distracted driver. Examples. Technology bites you in the end eventually, right? But nonetheless, I would not jump to the conclusion by any means that this has set back the whole process toward me before I retire, I hope, being able to sit in a vehicle that's driving itself so I can get from point A to point B. Used to be that was science fiction. If you had told me that was even possible... Not too long ago, I wouldn't have believed it. So while we're working hard to make sure that cars can be heard, good old silent cars problem, right? We in ACB have been working on that one for, for some time. We're also very much involved with companies like Google. I wonder where they're going to be today or this week. What do you think? Here, listening to you. So... Transportation is certainly changing in our lifetimes. And not always for the better. If you went to the airport to get here and you were directed to one of those lovely check-in kiosks, you know we have a ways to go. And a number of laws are coming into place that are forcing these kinds of issues of accessibility when it comes to things covered by um, the FAA. Is that right? FAA? Yes. Got her? Yeah. Okay. <coughs> yes. I've got one roving mic. Can you talk a little louder and I'll repeat what you said? Uh, the, the, the lawsuit, actually, which was brought by uh, NFB uh, to try to expedite the process of installing accessible airport kiosks under the new law, which is supposed to be a multi year process. Yep, there's lots of things going on here. And I will tell you, a law that you didn't realize was going to affect things has been affecting things. One called the CVAA is affecting many, many aspects of your life. We, again, talking about going to work, I work with all those different computers during the day. I come home and I want to relax and watch TV, so we have audio description, right, on television. Um, not all of us have equal access to that, do we? I'm a Comcast customer, and that certainly makes some things happen. And guess who's here with us this week? Let me think who they are. Oh, yeah, that's right, Comcast. So Comcast is, is working hard on this, but certain deadlines are happening. 
And those deadlines are going to require that a lot more than Comcast steps up to the plate relative to this. Are they going to? That's the question. No, that is not a question. It's not an if. It is a when. And whether or not the FCC is going to grant what I think are inevitable requests for extensions. And our friends at Comcast are very... We, we should be really happy that they did it, even if you aren't a Comcast customer, because they set the low bar. The minute it was proved that it could be done, it now must be done. Not can be, because I must be. It doesn't matter whether they think they can, the law says they shall. And they shall by a certain date. December. And you can bet that ACB is not going to tolerate any requests for extensions. They've had more than enough time to do it. They can even license what Comcast is doing. Comcast is more than happy to do that, believe me. Carl, you were trying to say something? I'm just saying that deadline is in December, which is only, what, at this point... Seven months away, uh, not even five months away. That's right. So audio descriptive television should be coming to the masses. Now, it's not a perfect solution, and you will be hearing a number of resolutions coming to the floor here at the ACB convention to more clearly state ACB's approach toward what we believe true access ought to be in that realm. Now, I will tell you there's some pretty flaky stuff out there. Uh, my organization, the Carroll Center for the Blind, we got a contract with a company by the name of Samsung. And they sent their engineers from Korea to Boston for us to help test out their smart TVs. And uh, unfortunately, the smart TVs that they built access into the TV, not the set-top box, into the TV starts at something like $1,600. So these things frequently start at the high end, right? It's a feature that they think some sighted people will want to be able to do, to be able to talk to and be talked to by their televisions as a means of interacting with it instead of that crazy remote control that most sighted people don't know how to use well either. Um, and... They're incorporating into those TVs gestures that you do in the air. So you want it to skip from what it's doing to uh, the next channel up. You, you, you make a thumb gesture as if you're hitchhiking to the right. Next. Or thumb to the left. Go back a channel. A whole bunch of things like that. There's a lot of things being experimented on to deal with this whole user interface. Not because it's best for you and me, but because it's best for a society who wants to be able to do everything without having to know anything. Oh, am I nasty, huh? But, yes, go ahead. So, so, so different agencies have authorities over different things. So 
When it comes to our problem with airlines, there's only one entity that we get to deal with. Who are they? The FAA. When it comes to web accessibility, there is only one entity that has authority over that, and you're right, it is the DOJ. And yes, they have played some interesting games with us over time, not the least of which is not being able to live up to their own laws relative to when the regulations were supposed to be promulgated and out there. Um, But in spite of all of that, being our government in, in its infinite wisdom, they're not going to wait till the rigs are there to start pursuing things, and they certainly have. And I read on a daily basis, again, part of my job, I read on a daily basis about law firms recommending that their clients get on board now and not wait till later, because adapting to the regulations only gets more expensive over time. And if they're in the process of rewriting their website today, it's a lot less expensive to build it accessible than it is to bolt accessibility on after the fact. And the lawyers are telling their clients this. If you want to see one of the biggest exploding spaces out there right now, it's companies who are assisting other companies in making their websites accessible in one form or another. If you can get properly educated to be a website evaluator down at the code level, you will find a job, my friend. Lots of it to be done out there. So, again, when we're talking about updating technologies here with ACB and what we do as a group, we have this committee that the president appoints and people get sacrificed, uh, pardon me, sign up for. And we, re- we meet on a regular basis by telephone conference call. We have the able assistance of both Eric Bridges and who else? And who else? Ryan Johnson. No, 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 no. I'm not a staff. Anthony Stevens, right? Our governmental affairs director. And the two of them are very much active members of this committee. We have Carl, we have Peggy, we have Jeff Bishop, and a number of others. Any other members of the committee in the room? Nope. Mm, you see why I picked on these two? They showed up. Um <laughs> At least four lawyer jokes came to mind when you said that. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, right? All lawyers are. Why? Why do they bury lawyers twelve feet deep? Because deep down they're good people. So. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have this committee, and we do a lot of interesting things over time, and not the least of which is sign NDAs. So you're going to see a number of tech companies here, as you did last year, as you did the year before, and as you will next year, that are tech companies, and we're engaged with all of them in one form or another. Some of them under um, agreements with government, some of them under agreements strictly ACB and those companies, and some of them under um, legal obligation. Okay? Um, It's do it or pay the penalty kind of thing. Okay? So we do this with the different companies. So I'm going to pick on them and go through them and ask my fellows up here to add to what I'm saying about these relationships. 
We are going to be giving an award this year to a, a little company yes. by the name of Apple. Apple. Did they deserve an award for what they've done yes. for us? Yes. But at first they weren't. So. That is where we stop this time around. I particularly found the fact that Bard may be coming to the Echo platform interesting, as well as NLS looking into ways of supplying the Orbit Reader to its subscribers. Wow. Pretty neat stuff going on, I'd say. Main Menu is a program sponsored by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It can be heard every Friday evening, beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern, on ACB Radio Mainstream, and it repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can grab it from any internet-connected device, use the ACB Link app, get it as a podcast, or pick up a phone and call 605-475-8130. If you would like to contact us with feedback, email mainmenu at acbradio.org, or interact with us on Twitter at Main Menu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.